0: This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. What's going on, Smooth Operators? Welcome. It's been a couple weeks since I've had an interview on the Smooth Operator Show so I'm really excited for this one, because, um, man, the internet's a great place. You meet so many amazing people. You get to connect. You get to hear their stories. And it's weird how, a lot of our stories have this commonality amongst them. And this one in particular, uh, this gentleman I'll bring on, he he went through a a pivot point, a transition point. And a lot of us, you know, if you're in business long enough, if you're doing this long enough, you're going to experience these moments of absolute parallelism where everything you thought you knew changes on a dime. It's if it has to happen to you, it's going to happen to you. And it can be really dramatic, like losing a job or having to leave a job in my case where things just weren't right anymore. And I had to leave. I had to pivot on a dime. It could even be within your own business where you have someone that, that leaves the company or market forces change. Pivots are coming. Change is inevitable. And the frustration that comes with it is a choice. And I want you to understand that that in that moment when the pivot happens, when you are faced with that decision, you have a choice in how you react. Do you lament on it? Do you go, woe is me, and create 30,000 TikToks on how your life is so awful? Or do you get into action and start living your highest purpose and start creating the life that you want? That's exactly what my guest, Andrew, has done. He went through a pivot point and he leaned into it. He took it on and has managed to not only, it's not about survival. Survival is part of it, but it's about thrival. I just made up a word. It's about thriving in that moment and finding a part of yourself that you didn't know was there and the places that takes you. So, Let's bring on Andrew. Andrew Bullis, is, he has 15 years of marketing leadership experience. He's driven revenue growth from Series A to E stages at multiple companies. So most recently, he was a full-time CMO at a Series B tech company. And currently, he's a fractional CMO and business growth consultant. So what he does is helps build marketing programs that help build B2B companies, help them acquire new customers and grow their revenue. One of my favorite subjects when we get into marketing. So let me bring on Andrew. Andrew, thank you so much for joining Smooth Operator. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you for having me on the show, Adam. I'm doing uh, great.
0: Fantastic. Oh, so good to have have you on. I'm really looking forward to it after our pre-meeting, just kind of discussing how this was different questions we're gonna go down and I'll restrain myself to keep us within time. So I understand that you have a rather interesting origin story where you came from abroad, right? You weren't born in America. Did I read that right?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's correct. So I'm uh, Egyptian. So I was born in Egypt. My parents are Egyptian. Uh, That's where most of my family uh, still lives. Uh, And when I was 12, I actually immigrated to the U.S uh there's even like a kind of an entire story around that uh but but kind of the short of it is I I came through uh the I think I don't know the official name the the casual name is the green card lottery um where you know so I I immigrated you know sort of like once I came in we all got green cards which was nice but even to sort of get through the interview process and get approved and stuff um kind of a lot of work uh went around that so yeah so that was definitely an experience When I first came to the US, it was a small town. Uh, It was, uh, it's called Erie, Pennsylvania. And this was pre-internet. So people have never even seen someone like me uh, and there was no ESL classes either. So it was one of those, um, you know, I just had to quickly figure it out. Luckily I was only 12 years old. So it was, you know, like within a year or so I kind of started figuring things out. Uh, But that was an interesting experience in a lot of ways.
0: I'm sure. And like, I imagine that the things you were learning at 12 carry through to this day, like being able to go in situations of unfamiliarity and be able to not to, like I said, not just th- survive, but thrive and and like you know, become the person that you're going to become. Right.
1: Exactly. I think it it's a, it's a great age because a lot of, you know my personality or or people's personality. I think it gets formed in those teenage years, and it was right at that point. So um, so in some ways, I think the first year was very odd for me because like I didn't understand why you couldn't wear the same outfit two days in a row, for example. Uh, like just weird, and that's by the way that is an American thing. Like when you go to other countries, uh, some other countries people wear the same outfit for an entire week. Like they just don't. So so like things like that. Like I would ask those questions. And then I would sometimes hear the answer is, well, that's just how it is. And uh, as I got older, I realized, well, a lot of these things are cultural, right? Like there isn't really a right or wrong. It's just a lot of it are are norms and culture.
0: It's so funny. Um, I I get accused of it too, because I I have this like one t-shirt I wear. I don't have one of them. I have like 20 of the same t-shirt because I don't like, I just like to pull a shirt out of the drawer and I people are like, do you just wear the same shirt all the time? No, but does not matter? We're meeting on Zoom. It doesn't matter what I smell like, but that's a whole other thing. That's so cool. And so like you landed in Pennsylvania, ended up, did you move across the U.S. or because I know you're in Chicago area now, like how how much travel have you done across the U.S. then?
1: Uh, Sure. So I ended up in Pennsylvania because my uncle's family was already there. So we stayed with them. Uh, Initially for a few months, then my parents were able to get a house. We were there for a year or so, and then my dad got a job in the Chicago area. And that's, you know, so my parents, me and my brother, then moved to the Chicago area. Uh, And right around that time, I was basically starting high school. Um, So that was also interesting because Erie is, at least the part that I was in, was very small. So my school there in total was about like 200 students. So you just knew everyone. it was the same people. It was but a lot like a small town. When I moved to the Chicago area, it was a, a pretty big suburb that we moved in where the school, it was you know, 2,000 students. So that, that was also like took I'm getting used to. But in some ways, um, I didn't feel as odd in that setting because there were a lot more, you know, foreign students. There were ESL classes. So I just I felt like I could at least get lost in the crowd a bit more or whatever, which which I uh, appreciated.
0: Absolutely, so cool. Well, we're we're definitely glad you're here, man. And uh, it's such a fascinating backstory. Um, I've I've traveled the world as well, lived in other countries, and I think it adds to your mosaic. It adds to what we can bring to the table because just a different level of understanding and an appreciation for for the broader world that. And marketing really helps us, I've found, just that bigger understanding.
1: It really helps, yeah, with especially understanding like why people make certain choices or why they behave, uh, because when you get kind of access to different cultures and, and see different habits and, and and even ways of thinking, you, you kind of start putting pieces together and start seeing trends.
0: Fantastic. So I know you work primarily B2B, right? And one bugaboo of mine the last couple of months I've been I work a lot of I work both sides of it, B2B and B2C in in the types of marketing I do, which is fun cuz you got to do this mind flip. But um I've noticed when I'm working with B2B clients there's like this misunderstanding of our marketing versus sales. And like, they're like, where do these lines cross? Like what is marketing in a B2B environment versus sales? And how do those two intersect?
1: That's a great question. It, it's not always very clear. So I can tell you a lot of the companies I work with, it's been a mix. Like some companies, you were just responsible for a certain number of leads every month or whatever it is. And that's how marketing was evaluated. And then it was up to sales to follow up work those leads. Uh, Other companies like like my last full-time role, uh, I actually wanted to manage uh, the SDR team because I didn't wanna just generate leads. I wanted to actually generate early stage sales opportunities. So all the way where it's the booked call, that call takes place, that con executive accepts that call as a qualified opportunity. Um, and the reason I, I wanted that is because I just didn't want to get into arguments about like marketing being effective, what value marketing was adding. Because I've had a lot of those debates before at previous jobs, and I just I'm just not a fan of those debates. Um, so, so I so yeah. But but it can kind of take both sides. And then obviously you know this Adam too. There's the brand side of marketing where it's a lot more about you know impressions, awareness, share of voice, where there is sometimes no leads altogether.
0: Yeah, that's the uh, the classic marketing versus sales, like finger pointing thing where sales is like my leads aren't good enough, and marketers are like, well, you're not converting the leads, and I think that leads us to that. If I'm looking at a company from an organizational perspective, this might be getting to ten thousand foot view, but. Like what is more important in your mind? Is it that better lead generation or conversion rate optimization?
1: I think it's a great question. So I think if you're going after SMBs and you have a huge, you know, target market, you're selling maybe a lower end or, or a cheaper priced product, then it is a lot more about, you know, optimizing for conversions because any small thing will make a huge impact where as if you're selling something more high-end and it's, let's say, the mid-market or enterprise, well, well, at that point, it really does end up being like how many sales opportunities is is marketing help generating? Um, Because, you know, everything else is nice and everything else contributes. But at some point, like if you can't show that, hey, marketing is actually contributing to the deals and, and the customers that the companies get, um, you know, you end up having a you know, make a case for your budget and for resources and things like that as a, as a marketer.
0: That's really interesting. I never thought of the price point being a differentiator there where like the lower ticket, but you're right now that I think about it. I mean, conversion rate optimization on a $250 product is far different than, Trying to sell a high-end ten thousand dollars product, for example, Um, for those exactly, yeah, those sales professionals they need they need at bats because it's a it's a different process that they go through when selling those the higher ticket items, right?
1: Yeah, it's very different. So if you're selling something that's two hundred dollars, it often ends up being like an e-commerce store experience like it's not different than going on amazon and just ordering that thing so if you set up the store correctly you have reviews you have credibility and you have some awareness a lot of the times you don't even need a sales team it's just pure we're going to run ads bring in traffic the traffic is going to convert and we're going to keep optimizing everything you know in that experience when you're selling a mid-market or enterprise where you're talking 20, 30, 50K, or even 100K or, or bigger contracts. Well, now you have a full buying committee on the other side. Multiple people are involved in the decision, longer sales cycle. And, and that's when not only do you need a sales team, but the relationship between marketing and sales becomes, you know, sort of critical uh, in, in the company's uh, ability to grow. Wow.
0: That's really interesting. and um. If we look at that from a systems perspective, like an organizational perspective, what tactics have you seen or what strategies have you seen, I should say, to help make marketing and sales tighter, to make them work better together? Is there anything particular that is effective?
1: So yeah, I'll give you two two ways to do it. One is more high level. So I think just from a goals perspective, Uh, It helps if marketing is held responsible for, I call it a pipeline goal, that could be a certain number of sales opportunities that marketing generates, or a certain value, like when you estimate how much those opportunities are worth. Um, That makes it so that, you know, both marketing and sales are just then fully aligned, like maybe each owns half of the pipeline number. Um, So that's very high level, the more tactical way to do it. um, Like I like to have like, whoever's going to be doing the outreach, like the BDRs or the SDRs, like the cold outreach sit in marketing because then what I'm delivering to the sales team is fully qualified early stage opportunities, not just leads and hoping that the sales team follows up with those
0: leads. Very cool, man. You, you're you speaking my language there because I love talking about having KPIs for everything and how, if you're a leader and you don't give your team members a number to reach for, you don't give them a goal, you might think that instinctively you're making their job easier. You're actually making their job harder because they don't know what success looks like. So if you're hiring A players, people that want to achieve, and you don't tell them what that is, think about what you're doing to those people. You're, you're leaving them in a state of perpetual angst where they don't know if they're doing a good job. So I love having that and, and to make them shared KPIs, that's even next level because everyone owns their own part of that responsibility. So you're almost forcing, it's like accountability creates forced relationship.
1: Yeah, like it forces them to get along. It's no longer like a nice to have. It's like they have to get along or both of their jobs are at risk, like both the marketing leader and the sales leader's job. Are, are, are at risk if, if they don't get along. So yeah, so it, it just avoids a lot of, it's just a lot more efficient.
0: Yes. Efficiency is great. I love that. So now you're you're in this growth marketing uh, consultancy is what you're doing now. How did this come about where you were like, what what jumped you off into this point?
1: Sure. So my last job, I was a CMO at a Serious B tech company. Uh, That ended in December, because of layoffs, the company was expecting additional funding that didn't come through. They laid off about 15% uh, of the workforce. And even after I left, so my job was eliminated at that time, even after I left, uh, I heard that there was even a a second round of layoffs. So at this point, half of the people I work with at that company are no longer working there. Uh, And the company was about 110, 120. Um, so, so yeah, so because of, I mean, obviously that was unfortunate for me, uh, but, you know, but, but at that time, you know, I, I kind of had a lot of choices to, well, first the job market was difficult because everybody else was getting laid off. So I had to kind of get creative and think, Hey, obviously I am going to try to find another job, but what can I do in the meantime? Or what's my plan B, um, just in case it takes me a long time to find another job.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that led you here. So fantastic. But now you're working with, you, you know, I think you have a neat, unique insight now because working for one company at a time gives you like great depth into that company and that particular, you know, product line or or part of the service industry. Um, but now you're working with multiple different clients as a CMO and helping them grow. So I think everyone's concerned about this right now, I think with all the stuff going on in the economy like, what growth strategies are you seeing right now that are either still working or started working? Like, what what types of strategies are crushing it at the moment?
1: Sure. And and let me, I guess, let me start by talking about the ones that I try to steer my clients away from. Uh, and it's not because they don't work. It's because, so so if you have a lot of funding or you're already at, let's say, 20 30 40 million 100 million per year in revenue, um, you can do a lot of the regular marketing like you can do a lot of paid media, you know, you could do a lot of basically paid activities, uh, spend a lot on trade shows, all that kind of stuff, and still be ROI positive, just because you have the budget to do it. Um, a lot of the clients I work with tend to be smaller, like some are bootstrapped others are maybe five, 10 million in revenue. Um, but they just don't have that much budget for you know for marketing. So what I do with them at this point is, um, I like to do strategies that are more kind of organic. They, yes, they take time to work, but over time they build brand awareness and create demand in a sustainable way. So, and I'm happy to walk through like, like the three that, that I like, you know, one of them, is uh, using cold email, but using it in a way to actually add value instead of you know pitch the company. Uh, two is taking advantage of LinkedIn, and that could be for the founder, like helping them build a personal brand, and then using that to get them on podcasts and get them speaking at shows and things like that. Or it could be an employee program. Uh, and three is partner marketing, where you find a company that targets the same customer they're just not a competitor of yours. And and you find someone on their marketing team, you reach out and you plan a webinar together, you plan a report together, and then you promote it to both of your databases. Um, So so those three work pretty well. They pretty much work uh, for every industry. And and as you are probably starting to see, they're more organic and and they're more sustainable because you don't have to spend more to get more out of them.
0: Absolutely. And you know what I found that's crazy about partnering? is I would have people on my email list for like three, four, five years. They've opened every email, their engagements through the roof and they buy a squat. And the moment I put a partner promotion in front of them, they would buy. And it always pissed me off. Cause I'm like, I've been marketing to you. Like I earned you, you should have bought from me. But here's the thing. Like they were happy to get my emails. They were happy the value I was providing there, but they weren't ready to make the conversion until I put the right offer in front of them that did appeal to them. And then they purchased right away. So in that type of a construct, I think a lot of companies, when I talk to them about doing partner promotions, they have this fear of I'm giving up my list for this. Like, oh, those are mine. Yeah, they are yours. And you're going to make some money off of it, but you're putting in a unique offer in front of them that they're ready for. I love that then. And the fact and that you're using it to this extent, even, in 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 the sizes of industries you're you're working in, I, it's fantastic. Now I want to double down on partnering. Like I always want to anyway, and now I want to do it even more. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, no, I I and I love that example. And I, and I think what companies forget too is when you partner with someone else too. In some ways, it gives you a bit more credibility. I mean, kind of an extreme example of that is like which I, I did. Um, at previous jobs where I had, you know, we had more resources, is we would plan these summits. It would be like a supply chain summit, and it's a bunch of vendors in supply chain, who, again, not competitors, just do f- different things. But when we then would go to promote it, like each of the vendors would promote it. Well, now you're hearing from like five speakers from five companies across everything in supply chain. Like it's it's a big event. It's a lot more attractive. Uh, and every company gets more credibility from appearing on it versus if you're just doing your own event. So, so that's kind of the thing with partnering too. It just gives you more credibility.
0: Yeah. Cialdini called that borrowed authority. It's one of my favorite Chaldiniisms. is like, you can increase your own authority just by being next to someone that has equal or more authority than you. It's like, there's an exponential effect where, the authority increases for both properties by the fact that you're in the same room together. And it's crazy how that works in the eyes of, but I'd say in the eyes of the consumer, but it's actually real because those relationships then even company to company, like you're sharing information, you're working together. And it's never just like the one webinar. It always turns into more and more and like zoom calls and becoming friends. And I have a whole mastermind group of people that came from that exact thing where we started working with partner promotions and now we meet twice a month just to share what's working and be there for each other. So it's awesome. Yeah, and no, I don't that's, that's,
1: that's great to hear.
0: And what do you say? So working with these companies, I, the biggest roadblock I encounter is the CEO that doesn't want to have a personal brand. Um, how how do you well first off if you get pushed back do you push back harder and say no you have to do this and here's why or like what are some of the things that you've found that get people out of that nervous state of starting a personal brand because it can be quite there's a lot of like personal blockages that I think prevent people from doing that yeah
1: and Adam you're right like and even that word personal brand is, is a bit of a loaded term. I think the way to think of it is like more of an online presence, more of an industry presence, more of like thought leadership is another way to say it. But um, so I like to do it in two ways. If they have competitors that charge more than them, um, I then will you know do some digging on these competitors. And I'll often find that sometimes just as simple as, well, the CEO of their competitor company has a published book or the CEO of the competitor company has been running a podcast for two, three years. It's one of the biggest in the industry or the CEO speaks at, you know, these industry events or whatever. Um, so that's a very kind of clear cut example. Uh, the other way I like to do it is too, is I like to like show them like how it works in a different industry. Uh, so one of the industries I've been working in and more recently because of a client is like virtual assistants ones that are overseas, right? Um, And when you look at those companies, most of them charge the same, but there's a few companies that charge double or triple the monthly fee for a virtual assistance as everybody else. And it's very obvious why one of them, uh, one of the co-founders has one of the biggest Twitter followings, he has 150K. You know, he's, he's had multiple successful exits. He has like a bunch of CEOs, founders following him so he can sell the same service. For two three times as much the other person is a published author her book was about using virtual assistants and, and, and leading and managing a company. And she's had a podcast for four years and she covers a lot of those topics as well, so you know so so like when they see that it's like you can't argue with that that's why these people are able to charge more. Because um, otherwise you become a commodity and it's kind of like a losing battle you're going to compete on price.
0: Yeah, I think Dan Dan Kennedy would talk about that where if you're competing on price, you better be the cheapest or you lose. But if you can be the most expensive, that's a better, bigger advantage than being the cheapest, in his in his view. That's what I've always taken away from that conversation is you know, the race to the bottom is a race to the bottom. <laughs> and you'll you'll never out Walmart Walmart in many ways, right?
1: Yeah, no, no, and uh and you're a lot more susceptible when things go, like when things happen that you just didn't plan for, you're a lot more likely to to go out of business because your margins are so thin that anything like your ad price is going up, you, whatever it is, like anything can just take you out of business. Whereas if you're a premium offer and you are bringing in more cash, you just have a lot more of a kind of a safety um, blanket or whatever you or whatever you want to call it.
0: Absolutely. So I love those three strategies. I might steal one or two of them that if I'm not doing it enough right now. Um, That being said, I think like you talked about what bigger brands are able to do, because like cash flow is not as big of an issue. They have bigger budgets. They have a lot more margins to work with. Working with the types of companies that you're working with and the breadth of companies, do you see an advantage that a startup has or that a smaller organization has versus... A larger organization? And what are those advantages and how can we take advantage of that?
1: Sure. So there are a few advantages. One is it's a lot faster to get things done when you're small. Like you don't, there's no layers. You can just do something and apologize if you get in trouble for it. Like if the CEO finds finds out, you just apologize. Um, And that's, by the way, a big advantage because the bigger companies, there's like three layers so sometimes the best ideas by the time they get approved it's too late you know the trend has passed whatever it is Um, another advantage of small companies too is you can take more risk because you're small you know if anything you have a lot more to gain than you have to lose so you, you don't have a big reputation to try to protect right so it doesn't mean that you'll try to do anything you know quote unquote illegal but you can do things that are more you, you can say questionable or whatever because you just have like you can just take more risks. Or, um, so, so I think even just just both of those um, is, is is why you can still kind of compete and thrive being small. Uh, but it is like I think it's actually even more fun. like I feel like it feels more than like an action movie or whatever all the time where, where things are blowing up you know and and, and you're winning some battles and, and losing others.
0: Oh, I love you say like things are blowing up, because that's just every day in marketing, I feel like. But the way to look at it from my perspective is, unless I'm blowing something up, like I'm not really pushing it hard enough, right. And and that's that's that scrappy bootstrapped entrepreneur in me of you push it till I blow it up, you know. What, what do I have to lose? I think you, you said it perfectly. Like we have nothing to lose because if we need to pivot tomorrow, we'll pivot tomorrow.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think whereas like a bigger brand, you know, like if they say the wrong thing and, you know, becomes a public relations issues uh, issue, they can actually lose their current customers. And if they have a customer base, that's a lot of revenue. Um, they generally have a board, they have Big investors that they're going to be hearing from as well. So they just have a lot more to lose and a lot more, you know, ties, people that they have to keep happy and things like that.
0: Yeah. And in this current state of affairs, it's like the, but you just say the Bud Light effect. That's all you got to say, right? Everyone, everyone yeah. knows that by now. So awesome. Well, one of my favorite topics with marketing is everyone brings it up and I'm going to as well that's so what we all want more of. And I'm, I'm, I'm always geeking out about different strategies, but it's lead generation. So what are some of the best practices or some of the strategies that you've seen really work for lead generation apart from paid media? Most of us can't really get to that yet because we don't have a proven process or the upright, outright funding for it. But what are some of the ways that you've seen really work for your lead generation?
1: So I'm I'm a big fan of doing cold outreach, but doing it in, in, in an intelligent way. And, and and let me like explain what what I mean. So one of the companies I worked at, they sold market research insights to CPG brands, um, and 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 basically consumer goods type of companies. And and so with the marketing team, we had this really cool thing where it was a report that showed consumer preferences, what they're buying less of, what they're buying more of. And that was during the, the cost of living prices, which, um, you know, was like late 2022. So, so, so because the cost of living was already in the news, all the, the brands were thinking about it, they were seeing that consumers are spending less, like we had a great asset, we had a very timely, uh, timely insights. So I built an cold email sequence, that would just share like micro content in each email like hey you know consumers aren't eating out as much uh instead they're um actually buying more groceries and and making the food themselves so that's great for you know companies that whatever sell their products in in grocery stores it's not so good if you're a restaurant uh they're not consuming as much alcohol um so, so because of that you know, imagine if you're getting a cold email, and you work at one of these brands, and you're getting these insights in three bullet points, and the call to action is, "Hey, let me know if you'd like the full report." Like, there's no even link or anything. So, so that, so yeah, so, so that's usually very effective, and a lot of companies can do this kind of stuff. It's it just that uh, they're generally they're usually just not being you know creative or, or resourceful enough.
0: It's t- oh man, it's taking like every part of a old you know old school not old school but like a good lead mar- lead generation strategy with ads where you have those like curiosity bullets to bring people in but you're it's an outbound lead generate. oh dude you flipped it upside down
1: yeah yeah it. no, no you you're right like a lot of the old school ads um would do stuff like that where there isn't like a direct call to action um, and, and they're like capitalizing on like news on, on trans is trying to bring in the traffic and stuff.
0: Oh man. Okay. I am trying this. That's my project for the week. Now <laughs> I'm going to try this because it's brilliant. Um, from a tactical perspective, obviously we're talking about a lot of emails. We're talking about a lot of messaging and like, you got to give people like a system to keep it straight. Otherwise they're going to eventually lose their mind a little bit. Like, how do you organize this? To use a CRM, like what 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 types of tools do we need to put in place to execute the tactical end of the strategy?
1: Sure. So you definitely need an email outreach outreach uh, tool. Um, There's a couple. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's a couple I like. There's one called LimList, which is pretty popular. Uh, Another called Mailshake. Um, And what those tools will do is, like, they allow you to import in contacts. Um, They do this thing where they call it like warming up a domain name. Um, so you don't want to use your main domain name to do cold email because if people, you know, block you, mark you as spam, then when you have an employee in the, your company sending a manual email out to someone else at another company, that email, you know, might end up in that person's spam. So you generally get a new domain name. Uh, these tools sort of warm up that domain for you. They allow you to import your list, do your sequences, and then they just kind of, you know, execute the entire thing and then obviously you look at the performance stats and use those to to make tweaks and and, and improvement
0: awesome i haven't heard of that particular um piece of software but i'll be checking it out after our call today because i'll probably sign up (laughs) it's brilliant man i love it because it 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 strikes the right amount of curiosity and a little bit of fear but it's not like fear for the sake of it. You're just sharing real life data on what is actually happening right now. It's already at the top of everyone's mind. So it's getting that, that lead magnet framed for the current here and now. I think that that's a big part of the success is that it's what what's on everyone's mind already. Um, and I've heard this before, but like you need to get into the conversation that everyone's already having in their in their head like that's how you'd be really successful as a marketer. Yeah. 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 And and, and
1: if I, if I may to like, so what I like to do too, like after the sequence is done, let's say it's five, six emails, you can at that point, try to set up a call with sales. You know, some people might be interested, but if you even want to sort of hedge your bets, even more, um, you invite them to like a webinar, or some kind of event like online virtual event that you're gonna do. It could be even like a Zoom call, whatever it is. Uh, and ideally it's on that same topic that you've been touching on in the sequence. So it's, hey, you know, in my case it was, hey, so we're doing a webinar on the cost of living crisis and we actually have, you know, our CEO talking to these two other experts on this topic. Uh, again, this, this would be a webinar that we would have planned anyways, um, you know, with, with the marketing team is, you know, cause we did one every month or two. But but now, you know, they don't have to even commit to talking to anybody on, anybody on your team, they just have to register for a free webinar um, as a next step. Uh, and after the webinar, obviously, you can always follow up and they're a lot more likely at that point to, to reply uh, and be interested in talking to someone on your sales team.
0: Does that phrase still work for you, webinar? I find in some industries, it doesn't. Where where people come into webinar jaded already and expecting the pitch, or do you still use that phrase? Yeah, no, no,
1: you, you're right. Like, um, uh, th- there are better. Like, so, like, if you say it's like a panel discussion, if you say it's a workshop, uh, but but I understand what you mean. Yeah, it's so overused that it's kind of the the whole phrase is kind of burned out at, at this point. Yeah. Um, one of, one of the things I've been experimenting with lately, actually, is like LinkedIn audio events. Uh, where it's similar to Twitter Spaces, but it's on LinkedIn. So when you go live, uh, all your connections see that they get an alert. They see that you're live, uh, and whoever you have on as a speaker too, like all their connections see that this person is speaking at this event. Uh, and because it's audio too, it's like yeah, like anybody can yeah. open in the background. So those will actually work pretty well. Um, so that's kind of one one creative way to do it as well.
0: Oh, dude, that's awesome, because you don't have like all the pain in the butts of I don't have the right link. Oh I can't find this. Well I'm at my computer desk. I can't do that. Like go and and oh, go to webinar won't install. Like you take so much of the tech that drives us crazy anyway and you just take it out of the equation and go to for the platforms that they're already on anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, no no exactly and because it's on top of a social media network there's this like network effect. So sometimes, so people like people will find out about it because others they're connected to are attending the, the event. So you get like, so it's a lot like you don't even have to necessarily have a lot of connections. A lot of the times, that's how people see it. They see that so and so is attending this event and their notifications, and they end up finding out about it that way.
0: One last question on this is that list that you're starting with that you're putting into this tool. Is this one that you're curating are you buying it or like how are you coming up with that seed list uh
1: sure so i like to use tools like like apollo.io is 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 a good one like ones that just let you build a lead list but can also be very smart about segmentation so you can say you know i want ceos at these types of companies with this kind of revenue uh in this region um, who like there's so many parameters that you can use that then, so you're able to align the list with your sequence to ensure that it's gonna resonate basically, um, if, if that makes sense. So yeah, so, I mean, you could use, you know, a tool like that. Um, again, I I know cold email, like like it has a bad rep because most companies use it wrong. Like most companies spam people and they just annoy people. But imagine again, if you're like, in you know, the example I shared, you're the head of insights at a consumer brands company, and you're just getting these short email sharing data-driven insights with you for completely free. And there is no ask. Like you don't, you don't have to opt in nothing. I mean, it, you know, you're either going to like it or you might dismiss it, but you're at least not going to be annoyed with it. So, so, yeah. so that's kind of the big thing. Like, I, I feel like the bar is very low with cold email. Um, you know, if you, as long as you're not just pitching right away, I think you'll be fine.
0: Oh, don't pitch right don't pitch right away oh yeah that's right yeah. i get like i'm sure you do i get like 10 or 12 of those a day and it's like okay yeah, yeah no, no, we, have, and, and, we have enough yeah. like examples of how to do it wrong so just do the opposite right? yeah
1: and 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 funny enough those are the ones that you actually see like like most of those end up in your spam or junk folder uh where you never even see them so so that like like even the ones that you see that pitch are are like a small percentage of all the pitches
0: oh yeah that's for sure so cool well at some point like in the company's growth I, I know a lot of people listen to this show they're they're working through the ranks they're getting up working up to seven figures you know we're trying to get there and a lot of times as you're on that journey like Marketing is often divvied up amongst many people. I know when I was in a company of that size, like I owned part of marketing. It was owned by another part by this guy. Like there was no head of marketing. So like getting to that point, I think is often it's like a goal that people are trying to reach. Now, you and your role as a fractional CMO, like I think that might be an advantage where you can come in at not full time but in that part-time capacity, but then have those that knowledge and the the depth of experience to really help people get to that next level. Is that what you've experienced?
1: Yeah. So a fractional CMO is a part-time marketing leader. So it's someone that you could have work four hours a week, one day a week, two days a week. It's kind of up to you, but it gives you, as a company, gives you access to a very experienced marketing leader at a fraction of the cost because they're only doing, you know, four eight hours, whatever it is a week. Um, And and, and because too, like you're early on, you often don't need a head of marketing because there just isn't that much to do full time. So again, this person can come in, they can create a strategy, they can create a plan, um, and they can even help maybe execute some of it themselves or work with someone on your team who will execute or even, you know, connect you with an agency or a contractor Um, at a good price, who's vetted because the person has used them before and recommend that you use them. So so again, it just saves you a lot of time. Um, It's not that expensive and it helps you get results uh, uh, as well.
0: Awesome. And when you're doing that, like you're delivering the strategy, do you also like, I'm a big systems guy, like give me a project management system. I'm a happy camper because I just love to organize it. I don't know, dorky fact about Adam. Uh, Do you give them those types of systems to follow as well? Or is it just kind of depend on the client?
1: Yeah, I think that's the other advantage too. So I typically have playbooks. Like if, you know, if I'm going to create a report, you know, here's the steps to do it. Well, if I'm going to do a webinar, if, if we're going to attend a trade show, even if we're going to do cold outbound, you know, here, because I've done this before, here are the best practices, here is the steps. Uh, And then I'm often too, like, you know, in their project management tool, like Asana, Trello, whatever it is. Um, So so I like to do, to also just create those, create templates in there so that they have those templates. They can always copy them, you know, every time they want to do an event, every time they want to send out an email. They just know now you have the, almost like a checklist that they can use um, to kind of execute that tactic.
0: Speaking my language, brother. I love it. So cool. I've really enjoyed going down this rabbit hole with you, Andrew. It's been super fun. I have more ideas than I can possibly do tonight, but I'm going to try. Uh, It's only like seven o'clock. We're finishing this. I can, I got plenty of time. Um, In the meantime, for the, for our listeners, if they, if they're ready for that jump, if they're ready to bring in someone with your expertise, where can they find you and, and how can they get started down this pathway?
1: sure so the best way to find me is linkedin just look up my name and send me a connection request on there um and again just even having a call with me the the first call is free like at a minimum i'll share some ideas that if you can execute on your own or your team can you know you'll walk away with tactics strategies for free uh but at the end of that call too if you feel hey like you need my help you know, at that point, you know, we'll, I'll kind of share how I work with companies, but either way, just through connecting with me, you'll get some benefit. Uh, I also post a lot on LinkedIn. So you'll be seeing, you know, strategies, tactics that I just share through my posts as as well. So it's just a great way um, to kind of stay in touch and, and on the latest that, that I'm working on.
0: So cool. And I think the last little thing I'm reflecting on is you've built this, you're comfortable in you know and making a living with this and your lead source is linkedin like we've done this without going through three months of build of your own website and 17 funnels right it's been about that connection and i think that goes right back to what you're talking about with the power of organic and like reaching people in that level right
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, you know, people say this all the time now, but it's like people buy from people. And, you know, LinkedIn, it allows you to have that personal connection, you're a face, you're a name, you know, even just when they start following you or connecting with you and seeing your posts, they at least know what you do. So, you know, in in a couple months when they need someone who does that. You're going to be the first person that comes to mind. And at that point, they're going to be reaching out. So so yeah, so LinkedIn is not this like magical thing. But, you know, it's a great way to nurture uh, connections. And it's a great way to stay top of mind for, you know, people you're targeting uh, that could become potential customers one day.
0: So cool, dude, I've had such a good time talking with you. Like I said, I got ideas for days. So this is dangerous. My wife will be mad at you. I'm kidding. I might not be making it out of the office for a little bit. All good things, man. Um, before we jump from here, um, any I, I did oh, the the question I do like to always ask. Um, I'm a big reader. I love books, got this whole bookshelf next to me. If you could pick one book on marketing for all of us to pick up, what is that book that you would recommend to everyone? Or maybe not even on marketing, just on. Yeah. Life
1: so, so the, the latest one that I've I've been reading because uh, everybody's recommending it it's it's I think it's a, a hundred million dollar offers by Alex Hermosi yeah um and and that one there are marketing things in there but but it's even like his approach to business like how to pick a market, how to pick you know an audience, how to create what he calls the Grand Slam offer uh, I, I mean yep. just like like he, he does it like it's pretty simple straight to the point. Uh, And the way he lays it out to lays it out to is very structured. Again, he didn't come up with a lot of it himself, but just the way he explained it, explains it, I think is very simple. So so I think that's a great book.
0: He has a new one coming out in six weeks. It's a hundred million dollar leads. He's been uh, talking about it on threads for the last four days, which I there's another advantage to the small business is he jumped right on threads. And the big business is still going. How are we going to do this threads thing? So-
1: yeah, yeah, they're still wondering like, is it is a is it worth it? Is it not? You know, how how does it work?
0: And he jumped on, and he's been posting every hour on the hour for like the last four days.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, well, he does have he does have a team because I know someone who works on his uh, so- social media team. But 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 it's it's very smart of him to, to also be like like on there first, probably ahead of a lot of other bigger companies with, with a lot more resources.
0: I love it, man. Awesome. Well, I'll link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. Be sure to connect with Andrew. If for nothing less, just his organic content he posts is amazing. Um, And I've already learned quite a bit and then get to go execute. So thank you so much, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure and have a great night.
1: Thank you for having me on the show, Adam.
0: Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click Start Here.